Recording in progress. Everybody, welcome back to the podcast, episode 72 of the Noel Kassler podcast. Had to break out the old Martin 0017 again. One of my favorite guitars, built in 1947 in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Doesn't get better than a Martin. So anyway, it was speaking to me. I needed to hear some mahogany this morning. Regular listeners understand that guitar and where I got it from. Shout out to Jackson and the boys. They're on the road right now and the girls. And uh, that's where I got that guitar. But anyway, you guys know that story. I just wanted to play it this morning, try to calm myself a little bit. It's Sunday morning, coming off another crazy week, coming off another bunch of Twitter mishaps or whatever you call them. Twitter's about as much fun as stepping on a hornet's nest these days. You know what I mean? People are addicted to the outrage, so they just sit around and wait for something to offend them, and then they jump on it. You know, it's part of the cycle that we've all been sort of trained to be, to become a part of and behave in a certain way, and it's it's weaponized if you step back and look at it from the big big picture as I've addressed before you know because it's designed to wear you down especially if you sort of have a larger following and you speak out a lot it gets more annoying than you think you know you're just sitting there waiting for some old lady to get pissed off at something you said and you know Noel I usually think you're funny but you're an asshole for saying this you know and there was a few things this week the the major one was me saying it was nice of that guy to wear his good denim to the congressional hearing And people said I was being elitist and making fun of the poor, which I was not. The guy was a podcaster and promoter of the Oath Keepers for two years. He was basically their publicity guy and created content. And I guarantee you, if he had a court date and his lawyer told him to find a suit, he would have found a suit, as anybody in America can do walking into a Goodwill and spending about 5 to $10. You could buy a suit jacket. So he was dressed that way for theater, obviously, and it was effective, okay? And I was making a joke in live real time, live tweeting the event, trying to take some of the pressure off. But once again, people get offended. And, you know, it's not about me or my feelings. It's about the larger cycle of, like, the left sort of attacking the left and everybody kind of getting addicted to the adrenaline rush of either being contrarian or outraged or whatever. People want to see their name up there in the replies you know, getting pissed and then having other people agree with them. And I get it, but that's not going to serve you well because it's going to be weaponized against you. As I said before, you know, when, when, when Dr. Judge, Judge rather, Judge Lettig was testifying and some, you know, very wise troll farm in Russia or run by the GOP inserted, this guy's a stroke victim into the dialogue and it spread like wildfire And you had big accounts apologizing for making jokes about the guy speaking slow. He was never a stroke victim. He's perfectly healthy. That's how he talks, you know, which was obvious to anybody who was really watching 
and paying attention. But people jumped on that stroke thing because they're addicted to the rush of calling out somebody and saying they're less than sensitive, right? And nobody cared or knew that that judge spent his whole career taking away women's rights. You know, he got part of the Violence Against Women Act taken out, rescinded, because he sided with two football players who raped a young student at Virginia Tech, you know? So the guy was no friend to the left his whole career. His ultimate dreams came true about a week or two later when the Supreme Court, is, court you know, essentially turned, rolled back Roe v. Wade. So you just got to think about who these guys are, why this thing, you know, that guy was there to rehab the image of the Federalist Society, right? And the Heritage Foundation and the sort of conservative movement. That's part of what Liz Cheney's doing, you know? She's being a warrior against Trump, and there's no doubt about it, and I'm grateful to have her, but she's got her own agenda too. There's a reason they're all Republican witnesses, and it's not really to change the minds of MAGA, because everybody knows MAGA's minds ain't getting changed. This stuff is so firmly entrenched now, it's a lifestyle brand. And people ain't changing their mind because of what somebody said, you know, at one o'clock on a Thursday at a congressional hearing. You know, the guys who need to hear this are sitting behind a, you know, a, a payloader somewhere digging out somebody's foundation, you know, or sitting behind a counter in a gun store, right? Or working and getting exploited, you know, in some Amazon distribution center or something. You know, the people you need to reach, unfortunately, aren't going to get reached by the hearings. They're, they're, they're effective, and I'm glad they're existing, but, you know, you got to understand the big picture on this stuff. And I think it's, it's almost too hard to do that now, and people will go for the easier thing of being like, oh, well, this guy I followed is saying something insensitive, so let me direct all that anger and outrage into that guy's Twitter replies. You know, and more power to you if it makes you feel better, but it ain't going to save this place, you know? And that's not saying don't criticize people if you don't like anything. It's just, you know, you got to question why people are doing this and not really going after the people that are, that are keeping them down and doing them wrong. There's a lot going on in the world right now, and we need all the allies we can get. And, and I fear greatly that the left will sort of, you know, crumble into infighting in this next cycle because it's getting serious, you know. Christy Nome is running ads in the in the Northeast today, you know, trying to vie for the spot of vice president, whether that's with DeSantis or Trump, it essentially doesn't matter. DeSantis will even be scarier. But, um, you know, Christy Nome is doing it. Carrie Lake is doing it. These women are branding themselves on a national level. You know, Ron DeSantis's education policy is polling well among Republicans all over the 50 states now, right? because they couch it in these terms that are going to appeal to these suburban white conservative voters, just like Glenn Youngkin did in Virginia. You know, he was the sweater-looking, you know, J. Crew-looking dad who looked like a nice guy who just came off the golf course, and he sort of soft-pedaled and soft-sold very extreme legislation, very white supremacist, racist kind of dogma that we're not going to teach CRT in schools right, that slavery was really not that bad a thing, right, you know, that we don't want to tell our children the truth about who we are, you know, and why should we, because we're, this is our country, we're white Christian males, right, bullshit, that's all bullshit, but that bullshit sells to a certain 
demographic that's generations into ignorance, that's generations into thinking it's their right to have an AR-15 and watch Fox News and a bunch of liberal socialists are coming after them and going to take their guns and teach their kids that white people are horrible. Nobody's saying that. What, what the left is saying is be honest, you know, give kids a real education. And DeSantis is like, screw that. I'm not doing that. He's going to breed followers. You know, it's like Nazi Germany. It's like Hitler. He's setting it up to allow anybody to get indoctrinated into his point of view. And they couch it in the language of the left trying to indoctrinate, indoctrinate your children, right? It's brilliant if you think about it. You know, it's terrifying and evil, and that's why he's a bigger threat than Trump, because he has, he has self-discipline and a long-range vision. You know, as I said last week, he's paying teachers to go to these sort of seminars. He's giving them stipends, like 700 bucks and, and $3,000 if you complete all the training. And it's about not teaching civics. It's about teaching his own version of what it means to be an American, which means to be a white Christian male right? That women don't have the same rights. They don't have autonomy over their own body, right? And that white males know what's best for everybody because that's how God wanted the United States to be, okay? If God was picking favorites, the United States would not be one of them. Let's be honest, okay? We're a nation steeped in bloodshed. We were founded on genocide of indigenous peoples, you know? A lot of people don't want to hear that because you hey, salute the flag, and we won World War II, and all this stuff, you know, a lot of stuff is true, and we did a lot of good things, but we had a lot of horrors happen in this country because a, a certain fraction of white men wanted to control and wanted profits and corporations, you know, later they turned into corporations, you know, in the beginning it was just wealthy landowners and industrialists and stuff, you know, and then that Thing got sort of parsed out and it became the firmament of this country and it became institutionalized and that's what our courts represent that's a lot of what our agencies you know are sort of still stuck in and, and that's what people are having a hard time rectifying now you know and that's what it's it's what makes these times so complicated and what makes you have to pay attention to so much so much to somebody like DeSantis who's doing that, you know, who's now starting his own version of what history is. And he's not only allowing those teachers to teach sort of uncivics in civics classes, he now signed a law that will let military spouses or military veterans become public school teachers without a college degree, right? If they have a two-year degree or the equivalency, they can now get paid and be a teacher without actually having a college degree. And that same, a version of that same sort of amendment mandate is taking place in Arizona, right? So you have two states where they're clearly reaching out to people that are sympathetic, right, to their cause. Because the odds are, you know, a military spouse or somebody like that might be amenable to getting that decent job and teaching that, you know, sort of faux patriotism that Ron DeSantis is pushing, you know? So he's sort of cherry picking people taking away the requirements that we've always had in education and saying, as long as you say what I want you to say, my version of the truth, you're allowed to have this job and this influence over our children, even though you're not qualified, right? And that's in addition to what he's done at the state level, where he's having universities vet teachers for their political beliefs and students and threatening to withhold funds if they don't fall in line. 
So you multiply that a few times across the United States in different states at a government, you know, gubernatorial level, executive level in the state branch, you know, do that a few times and then have, you know, have us lose some seats in the House and Senate in, in November and see what happens to this country. And it ain't going to be pretty because if they get it back again, you know, they're not going to give it back. Right. I think we learned that in the hearing this past week. I think it was Tuesday. Right. I did a live thing with my buddy Pete Dominic and uh, Jay Black, a couple other comedians. And I think it was Tuesday. And they talked about that meeting in the Oval Office. Right. They talked about how Trump had Sidney Powell in there, you know, and the Overstock.com guy, Patrick Byrne, who had been dating Maria Butina. You know, a completely compromised dude who had to step down from his own company because of his ties to the Russians, right? There was three people in that meeting who had been outed as agents of the Russian government, okay? Include, and not including Trump, who also obviously has a lot of his own malfeasance with the Russians that everybody glossed over, right? But you had Flynn, you had Giuliani, you had Patrick Byrne, you had these guys that had been clearly agents, double agents essentially, deciding to overturn the election results you know and it and it it sort of like devolved into cursing and, and Giuliani calling people a pussy and all this just insanity that I've witnessed because I've seen these madmen you know Trump just freaks out and rages and throws stuff and that's what they described again you know how he was just yelling and freaking out he's a bully and, and people didn't know how to deal with a bully you know we weren't trained on that in our political life, because for the most part, it hadn't existed. You know, we'd always thought that eloquence and, and, and intellect and vision, you know, were part of what would make somebody a leader at the executive level. And Trump just came in and started dissing people on a debate stage. And the corporation saw there was a ton of money in that. So CNN and Fox and MSNBC made Trump the big story in the last election cycle, not the one we just got through, but, you know, the 16. And that's why he was so easy, you know, it was so easy for him to beat his opponents, you know, Jeb Bush or somebody that you think the right would have, um, you know, rather had in their steed. But they saw that the quick power grab was going to be so much more effective. And then when the Koch brothers and people like that got behind him, because they did, you know, because they knew that they would get their agenda passed. And now it's all coming home to roost, right? They got all these Supreme Court rulings. You had Joe Manchin on Thursday night saying he's not going to back Biden's budget, you know, which had all this money for climate change, which was going to raise taxes on the wealthy, as should happen, right? And Manchin's like, nope, I'm not going to do it. After seven months of stalling and stringing people along, which is also part of the strategy, you know, you need to hear that and think about that. It's not just that he's a spoiler, because he is, as is Kristen Cinema. You know, they're Republicans and Democrats' clothing, but they're running out the clock. So they're not only screwing the agenda and making sure, like, no real accomplishments happen, they're running out the clock so you don't have time to do something else. You know, so he's, he's taking huge chunks of Biden's presidency. And I love Biden, but he definitely, you know, miscalculated thinking it was going to work out and he could, you know, negotiate with Manchin and he should have learned that lesson a year ago, you know, because he did the same thing last year. But that belief in institutions is a hard thing to break out of, you know, 
and I think the younger generation of politicians is, is seeing that a little more clearly. Pete Buttigieg, great communicator. AOC, a great communicator, again, who's allowed to be sexually harassed on the steps of the Capitol by some smarmy white bro calling her out as he did this week, making a little video for his YouTube channel, talking about her big Latina booty, and just walking right up the steps, doing it as she's going in, into the Capitol, right? With a cop standing right there, not doing a damn thing, which amazes me as somebody who worked on Capitol Hill. It's a different world up there now than it was in my day in 89 dude my roommate used to get busted all the time because he'd have a one hitter of weed in his messenger bag and forget about it you know and we'd always get a call like i'm in jail again <laughs> you know they found you know a 16th of weed you know a, a, of a gram of weed you know half a joint in my bag or something you know they used to really be be down on on anybody who was out of place up there and now it's like it seems as long as you're a white guy and you're making content you can say whatever you want you know to the left you know it doesn't you know but but then if you do it on the right if brett kavanaugh has his steak dinner interrupted at morton's it's front page news and all the media outlets for a week and nobody mentions what happens to aoc it's all by design it's the same thing i was telling you about twitter before the right is very good at using sort of mental judo against the left, you know, and having our own sort of weaknesses and proclivities work against us, our own sensitivities work against us. And that's not to say we shouldn't be sensitive. We should. Sensitivity and empathy are what are required right now to address the problems we have. But we have to learn how to sort of couch them in terms that can be strategic in this time and this climate because the old way of doing business doesn't work we're in a brand new world right and biden's thinking you know mansion's a reasonable guy he'll come to the table at the end no he won't he's just gonna bullshit you you know <laughs> he's gonna string it along and then he's gonna do what he wants to do because money matters more than life to him because that's what he did right that climate legislation was the most ambitious spending package we've had to address a problem that's going to affect every sentient being on this planet and every plant and every organism and every fish in the sea and every piece of coral reef, you know, is facing calamity right now. And we're not only not really addressing it, we have people actively saying that doesn't matter. Kill it no matter what happens, right? I don't want to risk hurting inflation. You know, people have spent their lives in the service of causes have literally seen their lives work go down the drain in a matter of months both on women's rights and health and reproduction reproduction issues reproductive issues and on the environment you know how does that feel my uncle was the strategic head of strategic communications for the edf environmental defense fund you know just literally spent the last decade trying to to get people to come to the table you know and spend some money at cleaning up our air and water and now it, it, it seems almost hopeless and it's not hopeless but you gotta understand you know we're taking a lot of losses in this in this battle and we have to get strategic and we have to understand like who's on our side and who's not right if you spent you know seven months slowly mile by mile going from a beach you know in Normandy and making it all the way to Belgium and at a cost, you know, of human life and sacrifice, and you found out one of your colonels 
you know, was actually working for the Germans, you'd be pissed, right? And, and you can make that metaphor for mansion and cinema because all it takes is one or two of these guys and they throw, you know, a fly in the ointment of the whole thing, right? There's, a, there's an Elton John line about the guy who shot John Lennon and it's, I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, it's funny how much, you know, I, I forget how it goes. It's how, how much damage, you know, one insect can do to so much grain. <laughs> Sorry for trying to sing. I was trying to remember how it went, you know, but it, it's something to that effect, you know, how one insect, you know, can, can wipe out a whole field of grain, you know, and, and that's how you have to look at a lot of this stuff because it's almost like politics itself is guerrilla warfare these days. And you don't know who's working for who and you don't know what the motivations are behind them. And the issues we're facing are gigantic, right? Putin's going to try to starve the world in a couple of months, and no one's even talking about it. He's burning down huge fields of wheat and grain in Ukraine, which is like the breadbasket not only for Europe, but for a lot of Asia and a lot of Africa. You know, So people aren't going to have noodles, and they're not going to have flour to make bread, and no one's talking about it, and it's going to hit people that can't afford to not have that. And he's also funding groups in Latin America and stuff like these anti-farmer organizations, and he's trying to get farmers to go on strike and all this kind of stuff. It's all strategic, and it's doing it all over the world, and we're sort of not prepared for it because we're overwhelmed. You know, Ukraine itself, we're, we're, you barely see it mentioned in the mainstream media now. And the same horrors that were happening in February and March are happening now. I can't tell you how many times this week my heart broke. You know, there was a mother and daughter. I don't know if you heard about the daughter was killed, the mom lost her leg. There's a video of them taking a walk 10 minutes before, you know. Guy's wife went out to feed a cat, got killed by the Russians. You know, there's horrors that have like that are beyond the pale still happening every day, you know, by a terrorist guy, right, by Vladimir Putin, the guy who installed the last president of the United States. And that guy had compromised three people who were in a meeting of that president while he was talking about throwing out the votes and seizing the voter machines, the voting machines, and declaring martial law in the United States of America. That's crazy, right? That's almost too much to think about, right, in a big picture sense. But that's what you have to do. You have to think about, like, what are the motivations here? Who's behind all this? Big oil, you know, oil and gas industry on this end, Putin on the other end, an authoritarian autocracy, which looks damn good to the GOP because they can manipulate people with the guns, with the abortion, with the we're white Christians and everyone else is bad and immigrants are coming to take your jobs, you know, and Ted Cruz is frying some bacon on his machine gun, right? And we got a badge and a flag and we're the good guys. No. You know, you want to control everyone else. Ron DeSantis is probably the most ambitious authoritarian leader this country has seen ever, ever, right? Because the, the ground is so fertile for somebody like him to, to sort of seize power, you know, and, and take hold. And, and, and a lot of people know it, and a lot of people are calling it out, but we haven't dealt with Trump yet. And how does a country that was really unable to stop and deal with Trump deal with somebody wilier like Ron DeSantis, right? And you might think we dealt with Trump because we voted him out. Yeah, well, he didn't go. He tried to burn down the Capitol, 
He didn't show up at the inauguration, and he still has rallies every week, and he's grifted $250 million, you know, since then. And not a single legal agency has held him accountable, right? The DOJ hasn't indicted him or anyone in his family or his close circle yet, you know, and everyone's holding their breath and hoping that they will. And nobody hopes they will more than me, right? But it can't be business as usual. It can't be, hey, let's let this long, slow, you know, methodical investigation work at its own pace. You don't have that time, right? Because this fight is also for the fight to save the planet. It's intrinsically, you know, interwoven with climate change. It's going to be 100 degrees in London this week. It's 105 degrees in Barcelona, in Portugal. You know, they're roasting over there, and they don't have AC like we have in the United States, you know? A lot of those old buildings in London are designed to keep heat in, you know? It's not the same setup. Anybody who's toured Europe, you know, in the summer knows that. You don't want to be in Paris when it's 105 degrees, right? So it's dangerous, and we don't have time to waste. It's all happening now. You know, all the biological indicators of the health of this planet are ringing alarm bells, and it's too much to take in for most people, so it's easier to just focus on the outrage du jour, right? And even those aren't, like, you know, they're mystifying. Ivana Trump died this week, you know, and a lot of people are like, did she get pushed? I don't know. How do I know? I wasn't in the building. I know everything's always suspicious around Trump, you know? I used to do an event with Ivana every year called the Angel Ball, which was Denise Rich's cancer charity, still exists. And I always thought, like, Trump deserved to have to stay with Ivana. You know, she almost looked like a female version of him. You know, they were the same age. And it, uh, that was always my take. She would always show up with a gigolo, like with some, like, little Italian guy or something, some slick dude who was, you know, getting paid to be there, which is nuts when you see it in real life, when you see some great-looking dude who looks like a male model, you know, with some, like, not, <laughs> you know, great-looking seven. 70-year-old woman, you know, with, with a bunch of plastic surgery and gaudy clothes. It's always bizarre, but it's a business. It, look, it, Trump and Melania had the same effect, right? She wasn't there for love. So anyway, I don't know if he pushed her. It is very convenient to get out of the deposition the next day. You know, he had to sort of cancel his Arizona rally because it would have looked too bad, but he'll be back at it. And in a matter of hours, he was, you know, fundraising off it on his on his truth social and in, on his email thing a matter of hours you know think about that his wife had just been found dead unexpectedly mysteriously in her new york city apartment right sometime after like twelve thirty, and by three o'clock he had announced it on truth social with a click here to donate link imagine doing that you know the mother of your children is found dead most human beings would be in shock for a matter of days even if you have been divorced for 30 years, even if you did publicly cheat on her and brag about it, you know, even if you did sexually assault her and rip out a chunk of her hair because you didn't like the, you know, the plastic surgeon she sent you to to get a scalp reduction and make everyone think you weren't bald, even though you went bald in the 80s, right? Even if you had done all those horrible things to this woman, most people would still have the humanity to be like, this is messed up. You know, I'm not going to say anything in publicly or in a bad taste, right? But nope, he fundraises off it because he doesn't care. He's a psychopath, and so are the kids. They didn't care about her, you know? 
Don Jr. used to, and he hated his father, and then he became his father, you know. But anyway, so, you know, it, it's all so much. It's all so seedy. It's all so sort of designed to, to, to sap your energy, you know, and to make a sensational story and to sort of feed off your outrage. And it's why we need leadership. It's why we need a DOJ that says these aren't normal times. And I promise you, we're doing all we can. You don't have to worry about alerting these people and giving them a heads up now, right? We all knew Trump attacked the Capitol on the morning of January 6th. He said it. He said, you got to fight for me. You know, I watched the rally. You saw the Proud Boys and the, the Oath Keepers and all these militant MAGA meatheads getting all jacked up to walk up there. What did they think was going to happen? You know? And he changed the Secret Service years ago. I tried to tell people about that and nobody got it. You know, but I saw a picture of Chuck Zito giving a bear hug backslap to Donald Trump on the floor of Madison Square Garden when he was at a UFC fight in 2019, in November, late October 2019. And I said, that's a different Secret Service. And I saw Bobby Angle sitting right next to him. I went to high school with Bobby Angle. He was a year ahead of me. You know, he married somebody in my class. They're still married, right? So I said, that's a different Secret Service than the one I worked around with Barack Obama when I did his inaugurations or when I did events with Clinton, you know, or Carter, right? Carter had like this awesome Asian dude who was his head Secret Service guy and, you know, Clinton, they would, it would be a diverse crew. Trump gets jarheads, you know? Bobby Engel's like a jarhead, you know, he's a Marine. He, he looks like what you'd think a cop looks like. I'm not dissing the guy, I'm just saying, if you looked at Trump's detail, it was all white dudes who looked like they were ready to stomp your ass, you know, which was Trump's MO, Keith Schiller, all these buzz cut jarhead dudes. He's got his idea what a cop looks like. He's got his idea what a girl looks like, you know, the Hope Hicks. Cassidy Hutchinson, that's his type for the smart chicks. He wants hot brunettes, right? Sorry to say, say chicks, I'm, I'm in his vernacular now trying to break it down for you, right? But so when I saw him there on the floor of the garden, letting Chuck Zito, the former head of the New York City Hells Angels, who went to prison for stabbing somebody who was on trial for trying to blow up a rival gang member in the 80s, right? When you have those kind of priors, you don't usually get in the building with the president, let alone are allowed to backslap him. I've told this story before, but Soundgarden played for Barack Obama's second inauguration for one of the balls. And I was in charge of the logistics from the production standpoint. And, you know, we had to do this thing with Chris Cornell, God rest his soul, one of the great singers of all time. He was doing the commander in chief's ball where he was singing solo upstairs for this thing that Obama came in to do. And then we had to go downstairs to do a full Soundgarden gig. And uh, the Secret Service came up to me and they said, somebody in their security, you know, has a prior, you know, it was a bar fight or something 20 years ago. I didn't get the details. It was a pretty minor thing, but they said he's not allowed to get in the elevator or come up to the floor that the president's on. Sorry, that's just a Secret Service policy. And I had to tell this guy he wasn't going to get to do his job that night. And he was pissed at me. <laughs> Because I was the bearer of bad news and he got kind of locked out of these big events and I don't blame him. And I've told that story before. But my point is that's a different deal when you had Trump and the Secret Service carrying the bags for his daughter, you know, for Tiffany going down Worth 
Avenue in Palm Beach carrying her shopping bags as she's spending money. You know, when you have the Secret Service protecting John Don Jr., who's clearly a cokehead, right? Who's clearly coked out of his mind every night. So he's got an eight ball in his pocket. And he's got Secret Service protection. protection. How nuts is that? Right? So they, you know, that's what Trump does. He's sort of like, he, he's, he's got an instinct to get the people around him who are going to not only worship him, but be into the grift and the circumstance and the tough guy kind of, you know, imagery that goes along with him. And power is intoxicating, right? And a lot of people in those positions, you know, they're into having that kind of power. They're into like authority and you respect me and stuff. And, you know, it's not a diss on those guys because ultimately they didn't let him go to the Capitol, but we did find out that they deleted their texts from January 5th and 6th, the Secret Service texts, right? And the head of the Secret Service just resigned. So, you know, my guess is he, he corrupted, you know, the immediate vicinity of Secret Service guys around him pretty well because that's what you have to do. You're working for me now, buddy. You didn't see me snort this rail of Adderall. You didn't see me grab her ass or call that guy the N-word in the back of the beast as I'm sure Trump did all the time, right? He gets guys around him he can trust because he's a criminal and it's a criminal operation and he's a mob boss and the mob has always attracted the same type of people that the police does, you know, at least in New York, right? Guys from Staten Island either join the mob or the police department, you know, if they're white and Italian or Irish. It's the way it goes. Same in Queens, same in Long Island, same in Westchester. It's the same type of personality and Trump's very good at sort of appealing to that kind of personality, that kind of white male tri-state area guy who grew up watching The Godfather and Goodfellas and thinking, you know, a billionaire with a wife with big titties is something to, you know, look up to and admire. Like, that's what Trump does. He was a clown for that imagery, right? Going back to the 80s. Here's me in a helicopter with my name written on it in gold. Like, all this gaudy stuff that anybody with any class runs a thousand miles in the other direction from. That's why he got kicked out of Greenwich when he tried to move to Greenwich with Ivana. You know, when they first got married, they bought a place on the water in Greenwich and Greenwich wasn't having him. Back then, Greenwich was still Greenwich. It wasn't all hedge fund, you know, big gates around your house stuff that it is now. It was a community. CEOs who lived there used to outdo each other to see who could wear a more modest watch. Right? They'd wear Timexes and stuff, these guys who worked on Wall Street back in the day, because old money was about, you know, being pretty chill about it and not completely exploiting the other guy and showing off how much you had. And Trump just came in and was like, you know, put, put a gold toilet in the room and, you know, let's do a fashion spread on how fabulous and wealthy I am and, you know, all that kind of stuff that they said, get out of here, Right. But the rest of the tri-state area love that stuff. You know, it's why they always say he's like a poor guy's idea of what a billionaire would look like, you know. And he always held out the promise of you can have this too, right? You know, that was always the dream. That's why he would sell branded products. Like if you eat Trump steaks, you're going to be like me. And if you drink the water and if you take this course at Trump University, and it was all a grift, you know, or if you come to my casino, you're going to win big. No, you're not. His casinos were the shadiest ones in Atlantic City. They had the least amount of payouts, and people knew that. You know, it was all a scam. And the presidency, presidency was the same type of scam. That's why he pulled in 
all these venal men around him. You know, Steven Mnuchin, Wilbur Ross, you know. You know, freaking my, my ex-door neighbor, you know. Larry Kudlow. Larry's disgusting, <laughs> you know. He was a disgusting asshole when I lived next door to him. You know, he was in the next building, you know, in, in sort of row houses in Carnegie Hill. But, you know, the guy was a scumbag. And he relapsed and he went to work for Trump and immediately went on to, you know, Fox Business Channel the next day and didn't skip a beat. Got drunk, you know, went on Sunday morning talk shows, talked about how the economy was going to be great, you know, played down the threat of COVID, you know, did a real disservice to not only this country, but the world. You know, that's where inflation is coming from now. You know, that's where all these supply chain issues are coming from. You know, higher gas prices are basically just the manipulations of the oil and gas industry because they, they know they're so well protected by these two years of, you know, or five years of bullshit from the GOP leading up to this that they can get away with it. And the GOP will do their job and blame it on Biden and will make cute little stickers to stick on gas pumps. And the dumbasses who don't understand the complexity of our time will be like, thanks, Biden. You know, I just paid $6 a gallon to fill up my pickup truck that gets 12 miles to the gallon. You know, that's a thousand pounds heavier than I need a vehicle to be, right? Those guys are all, you know, it's all primed to sort of work in concert and in lockstep. And it's dangerous, and it's what I'm trying to point out all the time. But so Trump pulls those people in, you know, who can do that. Who can make the industries that he wants to profit play ball. You know, that's why Alex Acosta got a job, you know, with Trump. The guy who'd given the sweetheart deal to his buddy Epstein, who Trump was attacking young girls with, right? Acosta got payback for doing the right thing down in Florida. The, the first time Jeffrey got busted, you know, when they bust him, busted him and made him only go to jail at night. But during the day, he could go back to his mansion and still have sex with high school girls and pay them that deal. You know, <laughs> that's Alex Acosta. He ended up transportation secretary, I think, or HHS, I forget. But uh, I think it was transportation. Anyway, that's how it works. You bring in corrupt people around you and then those corrupt people all have family and friends, Right. Bill Barr has Mary Barr, his daughter, at Treasury, who's going to work under Mnuchin, and they're going to hide Trump's tax returns as business number one, their first objective. It's what they went in there and did immediately, because Trump told them, hey, I'll give you this gig, and you'll make a lot of money, but you got to hide my returns. You know, the fact that we allowed an American president to hold office without showing his tax returns, it's almost the single issue that shows how broken our system is and how Trump exploited something that had never existed before because so much of this country was like an honor system, right? So much of this country was like, nobody will ever be that bad. And Trump was that bad. And people accepted his bullshit. Ah, oh, in two weeks, they're getting audited, but I'll show you in two weeks or whatever. Because he knew he wouldn't be held accountable, so he could keep BSing. And it just became this pool spray stuff as he's walking to a helicopter, you know, nobody was really going to hold his feet to the fire for that because he got the guys, to, right guys to come down and protect him. And those guys have tentacles that reach into all the other institutions. And you don't want to bring down big banks. And once they got down there, then the real work began. You know, getting Justice Kennedy to retire, whose son had signed off on Trump's loans at Deutsche Bank. 
right? That then and there should have been an impeachable thing. It shouldn't have been an automatic given that Brett Kavanaugh gets to take that seat. There should have been some sort of investigation that there wasn't, you know, and then all the Deutsche Bank execs end up dead, right? And all this stuff happens, just like all the Russian guys who ended up dead the night Trump got elected. Guy ended, the Russian consulate is around the corner from my house in Manhattan. It's on 91st Street. And a guy was found bludgeoned to death in the early morning there of Trump's election, you know, as were other Russian guys. And it was never solved, not in the consulate. The other Russian guys, like a dude in D.C., fell off a roof. And, but this guy at the, at the consulate that's 20, you know, 20 blocks up the street from Epstein's house ends up dead when Trump got elected. You know, and NYPD couldn't really investigate it because they have diplomatic immunity. So all these mysterious things that seem like coincidences probably are not when you have a big global sort of criminal organization working hand in hand with a corrupt presidency and administration. But if you talk about it, you sound like QAnon, right? Which is, again, the judo that they use on the right. They can throw it back in your face. You know, that's why everything they threw at Trump, they, you know, or that was sort of real about Trump gets thrown on Biden. They call him pedo Biden on the right. I get comments of that all the time. Biden's not a pedophile. He's been married to like two women his whole life. You know, he's not a philanderer, right? His son has some issues, and that was also probably something that was ginned up and honey-potted by the Russians as another weapon. Why did they all know about it, Giuliani and all those guys? You know, why did they know to go to Ukraine? You know, if Putin knew that, like, you know, a potential candidate's son had a drug problem, he would get around that guy and tempt him with drugs and prostitutes and, and you know, ways to exploit that to their advantage. It's probably no accident that there's all these videos and pictures surfacing, you know? I'm not saying the guy's innocent of having his issues. I'm saying you have to look at where all this stuff comes and how weaponized it can be. You know, they stole Biden's other daughter's 12-step journal, right? Because a house she was living in, sort of a halfway house in Florida when she was in rehab during the election. They, they went and stole her journal. You know, the Republicans did, an operative, and they gave it to Don Jr. You know, and nothing much came of it, but that's something they did. There's no, like, nothing is off limits for the GOP, and nothing, you know, any kind of subterfuge behind the scenes, it's all good, right? We still don't know what... Trump and Putin talked about in Helsinki, right? That was, what, 2018? Four years ago, you know? They had a meeting, and Trump stole the translator's notes, and nobody else was in there. How does that happen, you know? Well, it happened, because it never happened before, but it happened under Trump, and you get shocked and overwhelmed by all this. And now, now it's gone to the next level. Right, because Trump's still there and he's still sucking out the air and the spotlight, but underneath it, there, there, there are these more disciplined and more devious actors, and they seem to be procreating, right? They seem to be multiplying. Every week, there's another one I haven't heard of popping out, you know, and they're close to home. You know, you got a chaos agent like Dr. Oz. Running for senator, he's going to get his ass kicked by John Fetterman, thank God. And Fetterman's the kind of guy, by the way, you need on the Democrats. You know, you want to you really speak to the people that, that Trump is pulling away. 
or has pulled away from the Democrats. Get somebody like Fetterman. You know, that's a guy who speaks their language. That's a, a real tough guy, you know, who's got the ability to be sensitive and empathetic, who's not a bigot, right? Who's not a racist, who's not a homophobe, because that's how real men are. There's nothing to be scared of, you know? You support your brothers and sisters. You know that people in your family and your friends and your circle can love whoever they want to love. And you're going to just be grateful that you have them in your life. And you're going to protect them and honor them and show up for them and celebrate with them. Because you know what? At the end of the day, it's all the same. Life is life. Everyone's just trying to get through it. It doesn't matter who you marry or you know, sleep with or whatever. It's nobody's business. And there's nothing wrong with it. The hard thing to achieve is like real intimacy and a real mature relationship it takes work it takes sacrifice you know it ain't easy right and it doesn't matter who you do it with if you're gonna go for it and do it do it right it doesn't matter if the person is you know whatever you label yourself to love just love the point is loving right so the guys that sort of fall for that bs you know the scales will fall off their eyes when more tough guys so to speak Speak up and out. You know, Charles Barkley did it and it went viral. You know, if you're gay or, you know, a trans woman, I love you. You know, I've been saying that at my live shows if you come and see. By the way, I'm going to be at the music room at Cape Cod August 3rd, you know. So come on out. It's going to be nice. And uh, you already know that if you've seen me and you're listening to this. But my point is we have to make empathy, love, compassion, equality, you know, those have to be the things that we champion, you know, and, and the more that we speak to that messaging, the more power we're going to have because that resonates with people. You feel that in your heart, you know, immigrants aren't bad. Immigration isn't bad. Let's counter this BS they're saying on Fox News every night saying it's an invasion. It's not an invasion. Those are men and women looking for work and a safe place to raise their kids. And they're doing jobs that a lot of Americans don't do. And they're doing them with grace and dignity to give a better life. And then we get to see the real talents. You know, that's what makes this country strong. It's people coming here and getting to go beyond the generation that brought them here that has to make that sacrifice and build a home so then their children can get, children can get a quality education and pursue their dreams and God-given talents and abilities to the benefit of us all, right? Look at how many issues we have. We need all the talent we can get on this earth to solve it, right? Climate change is not going to be solved by one person or a handful of people, or an institution. It's going to be solved by everybody coming together and applying their energy to it, you know? And then somebody is going to come up with certain solutions that are going to resonate, and they're going to dovetail with a political climate that is willing to implement them. And we have to do that to survive, right? People were using whale oil to get energy not more than 100 years ago or a little more than 100 years ago, right? That seems ridiculous now and outmoded and stupid, right? So we went to fossil fuels, which already seem ridiculous and outmoded and stupid. You know, when you see a big tractor trailer going down the highway and it's spewing out that black smoke that gives any living creature cancer and heats up our planet to the point that lakes and rivers are drying up and people are dying, you think that's pretty outmoded. That's pretty stupid, you know? And then you look on the back of the truck, 
and it's carrying like two things, like a pallet of drywall or something. You know, and you're like, what are we doing here? How is this not organized better? How is this not regulated? You know, why is everybody just ordering everything online that's already been shipped to your neighborhood? You don't need to get toilet paper on Amazon.com. You know what I mean? <laughs> you don't need a big truck to pull in your driveway to give you a headphone adapter or something, you know? Those little things, we can all do stuff to kind of take our own carbon footprint and, and, and make it a little more neutral and a little more sane. And I'm not trying to preach at you. I'm just giving you what I'm thinking about here on Sunday morning, you know? But that stuff is crazy. You know, it's crazy what's going on now. And how you solve it, how you tap into the solution is like I just said. It's going with empathy. It's going with love and compassion. It's making it the challenge to live a greener, cleaner life. Right? And kids want to do that. The next generation wants to do it. That's where your hope is. You know, your Greta Thunbergs and all these young people that are like, I'm not accepting this because this is the planet I'm inheriting. You know, you baby boomers are going to be gone, but I'm going to be sitting here when it's 110 degrees in Phoenix every day. You know? So that younger generation has the spirit. That's why they reject bigotry. You know, they reject homophobia. That's why they showed up at Black Lives Matters protests and movements and marches or something, right? That's what Barack Obama said. Former President Obama said, hey, the difference this time is I see a lot of white faces out there. A lot of young white faces are out there marching. That's a good thing. And the right recognizes that and doesn't want any part of it. That's why they've amped it up to Mach 10. Let's just make bigotry cool. Let's make these smarmy memes cool, you know? And every time there's a slip up, you know, Biden, Jill Biden is not a racist. She made a, a you know, a gaffe or whatever you want to call it, a comparison that wasn't politically correct, you know? And they ran with it for a week. And even MSNBC had like a guest columnist on their website being like, after Jill Biden's racist remark, right? Which is a little heavy. I don't think Joe Biden is a racist. You don't need to do that on MSNBC. You're carrying their water by doing that, you know? And that aired at the same time that Ted Cruz tweeted out a picture of a breakfast taco and said, in honor of Jill Biden, I'm having a delicious breakfast taco, right? So like the mainstream media will help the trolling of the right, you know? And the more they do that, the more it appeals to these idiots that don't want to understand the complexities and want to go with the base instincts, right? So again, why we need to be disciplined on the left. This is what I was talking about at the top of the show. It's not about me or my Twitter. It's about like, wait, what are we really talking about here? Because the same day that they're writing that op-ed about Jill Biden being racist and Ted Cruz is tweeting out taco pics, He's also given interviews on his podcast where he says gay marriage shouldn't be allowed and they should overturn Oberg, Obergfell. Obergfell, I'm probably saying it wrong, but you know what I mean. The gay marriage Supreme Court ruling, which they're obviously going to go after next, which Clarence Thomas said he was going to go after next, right? So all that stuff is coming at us in the fall. So, you know, it, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And you got to be real careful about how we sort of stay together in this fight. Because if we, we fracture off and people get tired, you know, Joe Biden's going to be like, you know what? I'm not giving these speeches anymore. I'm going there trying to help. 
know what I mean? She was speaking to an organization that was like on her side, that she was on their side, right? She wasn't going there because she was trying to offend, you know, the Latino community. You know, and, and I got no problem with people being sensitive about language. It's very easy to make a mistake, but you have to look at the intent. Because if you amplify the gaffes, it gives credence to the right to do the same thing. And they're already going to do it anyway, but then you just gave him, you know, you gave Tucker Carlson his talking points for a week, right? And then you lose another week of progress and another week battling climate change, fighting for voter rights, you know? So I'm sorry that wasn't more uplifting. You know, it's where we're at. I'm going to be at the beach this week as a nice segue. I'm going to go out to the beach for a couple of days. I'm going to be on Sandra Bernhard's show, Sandy Land, which is on Radio Andy on the Sirius XM network. That'll be Thursday at 1 p.m. I'll be on about halfway during the show. I love Sandra Bernhard. You know, talk about somebody who tells it like it is. That's her, you know, and she was sort of friends and somewhat mentored by Paul Mooney who's a wonderful comedian, who's one of my heroes in terms of getting up there and just saying what you feel, you know? Jokes are jokes, you know? There's two kinds of comedians. You can get up there and just, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, just, you know, non-political, make people laugh, and that's a skill, you know? That's what you want to see when you're going out for dinner in Vegas or something, you know? But when I want to see an artist talk about what's going on in the world in a club and speak truth, you know? Paul Mooney. Right? George Carlin, you know, Dick Gregory. So, Sandy, you know, Sandy's somebody who always tell, tells it like it is. So, anyway, you know, it's a hard time. It's a hard time for everybody. And I'm luckily, I'm going to go out to the beach for a couple days and uh, go swimming in the water. I'm going to go whale watching on the east end of Long Island every year. These whales have been showing up which is probably part of climate change too, right? Because you used to never see them, and now you can see them, sperm whales. So uh, I'm going to go watch whales for a few days, and then I'm going to do another gig that's going to be kind of cool that I'll tell you about. And uh, that's it. You know, I'm going to st stay in the fight, everybody. I know it's hard. I know it's a hot summer. I have a feeling the headlines are going to be crazy if we pay attention to them this week out of Europe, you know, with the climate stuff and, you know, the virus is spiking again. You got to stay strong, okay? It's all going to be crazy. You got to stay smart. You got to stay strong. You got to keep the faith. Love always wins, as I say. We're going to get through this. It's going to get better. We're going to laugh and sing and dance together, you know, and we're still doing that. And if you get a chance to do it, do it. Get out in nature. Get some wisdom from the birds and the bees, you know. Watch a bug. As I always say, I'm fascinated with bugs. Most times a bug lands on you, you're like, oh, look at that. If you really look at it, look at the little fly on you, they're amazing, you know? All these different, you know, variants of creatures that are flying around. They have spots on their wings and all these cool colorings. And, you know, ladybugs. Ladybugs are amazing. You know, ladybug is like, what? So anyway, find your, find your ladybug, you know? Find a flower that's showing you presence, that's showing you beauty. Color feels like it's from the beyond, right? When you see purple or yellow or blue, you know, shades of red on a cardinal, you're like, who made that? What kind of joyful genius creator gave us all this bounty and plentiful like inspiration, you know? It's all still there. 
the whole beautiful natural world is out there. It's just under threat from dysfunction caused by the human brain and the human desire to dominate and turn everything into a capitalistic venture, you know, beyond the point of like being healthy. And that's where we're at now, right? Because it's capitalism and most of the wealth in the hands of a few that are causing these problems, you know? So somebody like Elon Musk or whatever, that's just bad news. That's just bad news, personality disorder, billionaire, I need attention, I'm going to waste all my money and try to waste your time. Don't let them. It's your time. It's the most valuable thing you have on this planet, and I appreciate you giving some of it to me today to listen to this episode, episode 72 of the Noel Kassler podcast. Again, I'll be at the Music Room, Cape Cod, West Yarmouth. My buddy Ethan Hershenfeld is joining me. Real smart guy. Went to Harvard. Great comedian. We've done a lot of shows together before the pandemic, so I'm looking forward to seeing him. It's going to be a good night. Come on out if you can. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. I'll be on the road, but I'll do the podcast. I love you guys. Take care. Peace.